As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Uh, joining us now, Matt Lizzetti, Chief Investment Matt, I'm going to do some amateur talking here. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance on Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. At what the revisions were to Q2, core PCE was unrevised, so it didn't really tell you a different story about the near-term inflation trend. I think that's that's really important. A big downward revision to consumer spending, which is surprising at, the, at this point in time. We know that there was a big pickup during the summer months, but I've been highlighting, uh, if you look at the BEA's credit card spending data, it slowed materially throughout September. Um, so I think, you know, as you look at what's been happening in markets, as you've seen dis- consumer discretionary stocks coming off a bit, we're, we've been concerned about the headwinds facing the consumer. Um, I think we're seeing it in, in the high-frequency data coming through. But you're still in this, this uh, fuzzy period of time here where it's unclear if it's just a give back from the strong summer months that we had or whether it's a new trend on the consumer weakening. Is there a stronger signal that you're getting from the jobless claims that just keep coming in at incredibly low rates? Yeah, I think when you look at the labor market, the consistent story is one in which labor demand is coming down materially, and that, that is leading to a labor market that is no longer extraordinarily tight, it's no longer very tight, but it just looks you know, historically tight. Uh, but at the same time, there's, there's not much evidence of layoffs taking place. That's true in the JOLTS data, it's true in, in how people are perceiving their, their job opportunities, it's true in, in the, the unemployment claims data so far. The key question will be, if the consumer does slow as, as we continue to anticipate as these headwinds hit, can that story remain true? Can you continue to have a slowing labor market that is only demand driven? When you talk about a fuzzy period of time, and this is important because we've been talking about how we don't know that we're not in a soft landing until it no longer is. Is there a historical corollary that you look to where there is a period of slowing consumer spending, but a very robust labor market? Is that something that can be a persistent feature of an economy for a prolonged period of time? Yeah, you know, I think we, we're coming out of this very unusual period, and so we're, we're kind of prone to say that everything is very unusual about what we're seeing. With the labor market, it is typically nonlinear. So it, it is often the case that things look generally okay until you have a shock and layoffs pickup. You know, that's the SOM rule where if the unemployment rate rises by 50 basis points, you have a recession and it always rises by more. So from that perspective, I don't know that there's all that much that's un- unusual here. You know, certainly from, from the lagged effects of monetary policy, right. people have pointed towards it not hitting as much. The key question is, did it not tighten or hit as much because we had a lot of latent fiscal stimulus in the system and it's now beginning to bite? That's our view, but there's a lot of uncertainty about whether that's the correct view at this point. Right now, the data check, folks, let's uh, do that. We've got green on the screen. We're up three-tenths of a percent on the SPX. The VIX comes in nicely, sprightly, from an 18 level into 17.94. Ten-year yielding three basis points off the announcement of claims 
really quite good, 204 with a constructive uh, leveling re revision of 202. And we've got the GDP numbers uh, here. Let's stagger over to Michael McKee for an insight. He's, he's got the Bramo cam. I caught in the Bramo cam. <laughs> McKee going, let me in, let me in. What do you got? Well, we do have the uh, revisions here, and it does solve one of the mysteries, or at least brings us closer to an answer of why gross domestic income has been lower than gross domestic product. It's because gross domestic product was over measured. Uh, they, right now, they um, government says that the GDP from the fourth quarter of 2019 to the second quarter of 2020 was uh, down 17.5%. That is uh, up seven-tenths of a percentage point. But when the expansion started again from 2020, the fourth quarter of 2020 through the first quarter of 2023, GDP was up 5.6%. That's two-tenths lower than had been originally estimated. So it brings okay. those numbers into a little bit more agreement. There's there, there's the heart of the matter to both of you, Matt Lazzetti and Mike McKee. Does this allow the Fed to change course? Does it give them cover to, to change tone? I don't think so. I, I mean, when, when you're looking at Q3 trackers, we're at 3.8%, you know, if the Atlanta Fed closer to 5%, do you see the jobless claims data here today? You know, the, the real-time evidence that we have in terms of what happens with the labor market and the growth data so far for Q3, I think all fits with them maintaining this hawkish bias, the, the threat of another rate hike that's out there. We don't think they deliver on it, but I think that that fits with them sticking with that story. When you talk about, you don't know whether we're seeing the lag and variable effects coming into play now. We don't understand why they didn't happen earlier. We don't understand a lot about this economy. What is your compass, right? Especially at a time where we might not be getting data from the government because of a government shutdown. What is the most important data that you're tracking? Is it credit card spending? Is it jobless claims? Is it something else, the sort of intangibles that some of the Fed officials have said in the conversations with small business owners are the most important? Yeah, I think in a period where you're not getting the, the key macro data, you have to rely on some of these other alternative data sets, the anecdotes that we might get, the surveys from the isms and, and those types of surveys will be incredibly important, I think, for distilling what's happening with the, with the economy. But I think it's all about the consumer and it's all about the labor market. We've done some research in the past which suggests that continuing jobless claims are the best real-time indicator of recession. Right now, they're clearly not telling you that we are in a recession. They don't lead significantly, but they tell you when we are in a recession. And so I think that is, remains the key data point. From a consumer perspective, I think it is this, this card spending data. It gives you kind of a weekly view on how things are evolving. It's volatile. It has seasonal adjustment issues. So there's, there's a lot of trickiness in it. But if you smooth through what we look at over a four-week basis, it's slowed materially over the back half of August and then into September. Is it coherent with this idea that you could see a sharp spike upward in the unemployment rate? Or is that uh, still very unclear in your view? No, I, I think if we, if we have a slowdown where growth goes into negative territory and the consumer actually begins to contract, with where, how much labor demand has come down, I would not be surprised at all to see the unemployment rate begin, begin to move higher. It's kind of part of our, our baseline forecast. Timing that exactly when that happens is always very difficult. Matt Lazzetti, Chief U.S. Economist at Deutsche Bank. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. 
It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. We need sunglasses for our next guest. Stan Ives of Wedbush remaining bullish, saying this, quote, our view of tech stocks, that the transformational growth around AI will continue, cloud, cybersecurity, a rebound of digital ad dollars will create a springboard of growth into 2024 that is currently being underappreciated by the street. Dan Ives, TK of Wedbush. Out on the web, quote, the iPhone is getting really hot when using it even for a short while, date, July 4th, 2007. This has happened before. The uproar this morning. The man with titanium clothes. Dan Ives joins us this morning here. And the latest uproar, OMG, it's hot. First thing I said is, yeah, whenever they bring out a new phone, the software's screwed up. It's hot. It's like not news, is it? But this is not a surprise to Apple. I mean, Apple knew from a titanium that this was going to happen. There will be some software updates that come out over the next week. And it's typical Cupertino. They're going to fix it. And if you look ultimately at the demand okay. for this iPhone. It continues to be, I think, much better okay. than expected. Seriously, we got to do this. Is there any danger to the public with this, like exploding or on an airplane lithium? But, you know, the gloom that's out there. Not There's at all. There's no, like, danger. Not, not at all. If you look at any, even some of the ones that have tested this, right. in terms of stress tested it, there's so, nothing like that. It's really just more, it overheats in some instances, but right. I believe... This, this bug that the fix that they'll come right. out with it is going to resolve. So if John's at Covent Garden buying a new iPhone, he can go in safe. He can go in safe and he's going to be able to watch Premier League and do all of his, oh, everything great. he loves. To do. Great. All his <laughs> London things. Why don't I just go back? Bravo. That seems there. to be. Dan Ives, you just said something. You said demand will be better than expected. In fact, you implied that it is better than expected. Already. So can you tell me about, A, what was expected, and B, how you're gauging current demand? What are yeah. you looking at? If you look at lead times in terms of iPhone deliveries, we are still ahead of iPhone 14, and it's actually extending. And if you look last year, you basically you had a shortage of iPhones. So when you actually combine what I'll call about 10 million incremental units that we actually have now from an inventory perspective, we're tracking so far, based on our estimate, about 10 to 12% ahead of expectations. How do you make a distinction between scarcity that is, let's say, massaged by the company that produces this particular handset and scarcity that's driven by real demand? Yeah. Because doesn't Apple play this game? It's difficult to get our yeah, products. No, There's no, a big lead time. No There's doubt. a delay. No Try doubt. getting some AirPods. It takes two months. Everybody wants them. Isn't that the whole marketing strategy? Look, and I think that it's a Rubik's Cube to figure out, and that's why we spend so much time in Asia trying to understand what incremental units have actually been produced. 
what the demand looks like relative to the supply chain. And I think right now we're running probably about three to four million units ahead. You know, if you look relative to where iPhones are going to shape out. Also, ASPs, even in China, continue to go up because of the pro. And I think that's really the story here is that the ASP talents there, and despite doomsday sort of view out there, I mean, you're basically seeing an iPhone demand story going into holidays that's going to be ahead of expectations. How much is Apple eating the lunch of everybody else in terms of a market that is actually shrinking, or at least in stasis, when it comes to the smartphone market? Oh, it's a great, I mean, we've seen it in China. They've gained about 300 bips in market share the last 18 months. And I think even despite Huawei, I think we'll continue to gain share because Huawei, if you buy that phone, it's like buying an iPhone 12. And it comes down to the chips and what they've done from a silicon perspective. It's the best smartphone in the world, I think, by you know, by miles at this point. Which raises a question in my in my mind, which is maybe Apple is the cleanest shirt in a dirty hamper or whatever the uh, expression is, yet the overall macro backdrop is souring in a way that is more meaningful. We saw that from Micron yesterday as some of the expectations coming out seem to be more negative than people previously expected. Where do interest rates have to stay to keep your bull thesis afloat without the macro gloom getting in the way? Yeah, and look, we've talked about it before. I mean, obviously, it's a macro backdrop that's really causing white knuckles across tech bulls. And I think I see from investors on a daily basis. Well, look, I mean, my, my view is that going into this next year, I believe, you know, Fed's going to cut, at least from a, from a backdrop perspective. But I focus, I'm more macro aware, yeah. micro obsessed in terms of how we've done it. And if I look at growth in tech, I believe it's going to be right. the biggest growth we've seen in the last 30 years. And that's why a lot of the bears that have called 10 of the last two downturns, I get it. I get their thesis. I just think we sit here six, nine months right. now and Apple's an all-time high. Calendar item, October is upon us and institutions are behind. Without question, they're under-owned on Apple. Insider share ownership off the Bloomberg. Apple, 66%. Uh, Satya Nadella and Microsoft, 75%. They're under-owned. End of the year, do you get a massive short squeeze to get you from 170 out to your 240 target? I mean, our view is this is a stock that's ultimately going to have a two in front of it over the next three to four months. I think earnings season for tech is going to cause, I think, a major... Yeah, but what does a big institution do? J.P. Morgan Asset Management, name the company worldwide. They're under-owned in this dog. They have to buy it in the year-end, right? It is a gift, what I view, Apple here, a golden buying opportunity. And institutions that I talk to continue. It's a Groundhog Day situation. New York City cab drivers bearish on tech and Apple into earnings season. And I think we sit here end of the year and we look back and this was an opportunity going into what I view as a mini super cycle, uh, especially as everyone's positioned right now in big tech. Is China a Groundhog Day situation? Isn't that new? Well, I think when you look at China, I mean, even if you go back, the worries about government ban and everything we've seen, but yet you, you see the lines, you see Chinese consumers that are actually lining up to buy iPhones. So I think I, when I look at China, Cook, 10% politician, 90% CEO, that continues to be the hearts and lungs of the story. So I just view that as one where it's, it's the big 
bad wolf. It's always the fear out there, but at least the bark is going to be worse than bites so far in this cycle. I want to just uh, end broadening out to where the macro fears are right now. This idea that we are seeing more strength that is going to cause uh, more profit margin compression that's going to lead to a lack of investment by a lot of companies. How much does that delay or would that delay your thesis of growing profits to new record highs as a lot of companies invest in artificial intelligence if they don't have the extra capital on hand to do so? Yeah, it would. And we, that's why we spend all of our time not here in New York City, but around the world trying to understand where the demand trends are. I believe we're going to sit here with cloud numbers from Microsoft, Amazon, Google that beat expectation. We actually see the opposite that's playing out. And I think that's really going to be the surprise earnings season. Of course, that's the, the biggest fear. But at least what we see fundamentally speaking is actually the opposite playing out despite some of the macro fears. Aren't we comparing some businesses that are still delivering double-digit revenue growth and one business, Apple, the core of it, that's not really delivering any growth at all? Two very different stories, aren't they? No doubt. When you look at cloud and what's happened AI, but John, I think we sit here a year from now, and that's a re-accelerated growth story, not just on iPhone, but also services that's going toward double-digit growth. And I think Apple's one where the bears for years have gotten it wrong, saying the best days in the rearview mirror. They continue to underestimate the golden story of Cook and Cook. It's slightly unfair, Dan, because they've been right, because sales have flatlined. Hasn't the company gone ex-growth when it comes to the iPhone? Yeah, but I, I'd say they've been maybe right conceptually, but wrong on the stock, and I think wrong in the valuation, because I just view right now, this is just a pause from a growth perspective in what has really been a multi-year upgrade cycle that's gone on an iPhone. It's, and I think it's just... No, I don't mean to interrupt. It's just been a failure of a stock. Ten-year annualized return, 29%. You know. Tom, it was backed up by tons of growth. The point is, and I think the question is, and it's a valid one, is that growth isn't there anymore. They're operating And I'm not here to make a judgment no, about the future. They're, That's they're, for you they're to do. Operating I'm just down, here to make an observation about the last 12 months. They're operating leverage down the income statement from single-digit revenue growth is historic. It's like back to Graham Dodd and Cottle. We've never seen it. And it's the, the Apple Silicon chip story. Now they're being Intel at their own game. They, they control the ecosystem. Oh, wait. Is the nanotechnology, the three millimeter nanotechnology, is that the cause of them being hot? Um, I, I, I believe that it's really more titanium in terms he of. He thinks I'm serious. In, in terms of the. It's, look, I, I just busted your chop. Do you have the new iPhone? That's all we want to know. It's coming this week. It's okay. coming. It's on delay. But it's on delay. <laughs> it's on delay because of demand. There we go. Because Pharaoh Key and everyone's ordering it. <laughs> Dan Ives, you're killing me. Dan Ives and Wetfish. Dan, it's good to see you, as always. Right now, without question for Global First Wall Street, our interview of the day on <laughs> bonds, notes, and bills. Alana Nyman has taught parchments in the usual accounting economics from Villanova, macro credit research at BlackRock, or the tour of duty at Goldman Sachs and other places along the winding at road. She joins us. What's the level of sweat at BlackRock? I mean, like, you know, are you are all the windows locked and, you know, you're, you're policing Kostrich and the rest of them to be sure they're okay? 
No, I, mean, I think we're all chat we're navigating and good morning and thank you for having me. Um, I think we're all navigating what is a very dynamic market um, that is keeping us on our toes for sure. I think for corporate credit investors, what we've really been focused right. on is this higher cost of capital environment and we're seeing it day by day kind of flow through the corporate credit market. Um, and, and really for corporate credit fixed rate investors, the headwind has been on the risk-free rate. We haven't seen much repricing in credit spreads and I think that's been a really notable feature of the third quarter quarter, and that's probably something that will continue into the fourth quarter. It's still sure. happening, just a little bit, yeah. just incrementally, we're getting that spread widening. When you look within high yield at the moment, where do you see the greater pain being inflicted? So we're seeing um, a really surprising dynamic, actually, where high quality is lagging and the lower um, quality really parts of the market are leading. And so if you just take the three broad buckets of leveraged loans, high yield bonds and investment grade bonds, arguably leveraged loans are in the weakest vulnerable fundamental position because they've been contending with this higher borrowing cost for the past several quarters, really since early 2022. But they've had the best performance year to date. Um, we don't think that that is sustainable over the long term. As you know, we don't view fixed rate corporate credit as, as immune from these headwinds either. Um, so I do think that there will be some more differentiation. But I think going forward, what we've characterized it in our fourth quarter outlook is it's going to be about dispersion as opposed to widespread market disruption. And so when we're dealing with potential you know, headwinds to margins, wages, commodity costs, potentially slowing economic growth, higher borrowing costs, we think that that will really result in differentiation across the spectrum as opposed to kind of this rising tide lifts all boats macro. I want to go to the question that, yeah. that John asked Ian Shepardson. At what point will we feel the rates that the Fed has yeah. inflicted on the market and that we're seeing priced into the risk-free rate? When do we see that wave of refinancing where companies actually start paying 9% rates right. as opposed to the 3% rates they locked in a couple years ago? Right. So we're seeing it in the leveraged loan market already. For the fixed rate borrowers, we're starting to see that come through. But frankly, I've been pleasantly surprised about the high yield market's ability to absorb the wave of September issuance that we've had come through the high yield market already. So we do think that that will continue. That maturity wall 2025 through 2029 will need to be addressed. Um, but we, we think that that right. will continue. Just, I really am curious, yeah. though, about where this money is coming from, yeah. right? Is this coming from a, another pool like treasuries, or is this coming from stock investors? Yeah, so we've done some surveys as a firm across institutional investors, and there is a growing interest to deploy capital into fixed income, largely due to the repricing and all-in yields that we've seen over the past few quarters. I would say we're also seeing increased interest in areas like private credit as well. So I do think there was a decent amount of cash on the sidelines for investors to kind of play in the new issue market. In many instances, these are credits that these investors know well. And so if they're seeing them come through the primary market at a, at a discount or on sale, that can be an attractive opportunity to deploy capital. If it's a credit that you know well, you're comfortable with the risk. And, and more importantly, I think you're comfortable with the forward and that company's ability to navigate through this higher cost of capital environment. But, but as we've discussed previously, there will be winners and losers in this. And we're already seeing that in terms of defaults. I think the issue is if you have a capital structure that is over leveraged and perhaps formed in a low rate environment of 2021, even early 2022, um, those need to be right sized. And so there, there will be some real differentiation there. I think your note was dead on about cost of capital. And my monitor of that is the 10 year real yield. There can be 47 other tea leaves to look at as well. So if I look at an elevated, shocking real rate where we are, 
I intuitively understand tangible assets like real estate are affected immediately. How does this new sustained real rate affect fungible assets like bonds, notes, and bills? I think one of the one of the key takeaways that we're expecting is that the bar for transactions is probably going to be higher. Uh, so if you're a corporate and you are thinking of doing an M&A transaction, the higher real rate may make you say, um, this is not as an attractive opportunity given when my financing was much cheaper. Going forward for real estate and even I think for private equity and, and sponsor related mm-hmm. transactions, we need increased clarity on the macro. We don't necessarily need a good macro. And so for corporates that are thinking of transacting, I think it, if we can get comfortable that we're at the end of the policy cycle, that will give them some clarity to move forward. To your point, though, Tom, the higher cost of capital in general will probably skew those transactions towards the acquirers that don't need to rely on the aggressive funding to get them done. So these are cash-rich pharma, cash-rich tech, highly rated investment-grade companies with strong financing. I think you are going to see a mixed shift in terms of, of, the, of the skewing of the financing activity that we see going forward. If we can get comfortable, are you feeling comfortable? I, I mean, I, I do think we, we were bracing for a higher for longer environment with a higher cost of capital, but the repricing that we've seen has been so swift that it's hard to really feel comfortable that we're at the end of it. And so it's a, it's a really challenging dynamic backdrop to navigate for sure. Amanda, every time I wrap up a conversation with you, it's a clinic, mm-hmm. a clinic with Amanda Line of, of BlackRock. Amanda, thank you. thank you. As always, thank you very much. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Brian Steele's in the, uh, well, the right, the lower right corner of Wisconsin to, to bring it out. He is the Republican from Wisconsin, and we join us today. Brian, we're talking here about Civics 101 what do you, how do you respond as a grizzled pro to a debate like that, a debate that just seems so juvenile? I think we have to ask ourselves the question, at the end of the day, did viewers walk away informed about the most important policy issues of the day? I don't know that that format's leading to that. We have so many serious challenges from the fiscal standpoint to foreign policy, uh, and this seems to be a a conversation that's built for Twitter clicks. We've had a president and a former president enjoy the climbs of Detroit. Wisconsin is sort of 
Northwest Detroit or maybe Detroit Southeast Wisconsin, we'll let you decide uh, that. Your thoughts on the political input of these two presidents into the UAW process? Yeah, I was born and raised in Janesville, Wisconsin, where we had a UAW General Motors plant that would ultimately leave around 2010. Uh, and so I understand what these workers are feeling right now who are on the picket lines. Ultimately, workers across the country are feeling that their wages have not kept up with inflation, so they're fighting uh, for more money. Politically, I think this is the right move to go and actually have the conversation with the men and women who are working day in and day out. And I think at the end of the day, the bread and butter issue, the fact that wages are well below inflation, the average family is spending over $700 a month more today than they were two and a half years ago for the same things, ultimately will punish Democrats. As we talk about wages, there's a question about whether uh, 800,000 government workers will get paid come Monday, given the fact that there is likely to be a shutdown. Do you think it's appropriate for them to not get paid in order uh, to have some of the political wrangling worked out? There's absolutely nothing positive that comes out of a shutdown. It hurts the American people and the credibility of our government. We're working to hopefully avoid that. That's going to be a challenge, uh, but hopefully cooler heads prevail here by Saturday night. There is nothing right with people, Americans, who are working, uh, who are not getting paid for that work. What people are saying is that it's very likely that there will be a shutdown, that there seems to be an impasse, and that Kevin McCarthy is uh, sort of not doing his job very well as the leader of a very fractured group. Do you think, do you get the sense that he is frustrated, that he regrets taking this job? I think we're all frustrated. I think he's done a pretty darn good job trying to wrangle everyone together to move us forward. Uh, the Senate also is in, in dire straits. They haven't moved their funding bills either. The entire system of spending in Washington is completely broken. It needs, to, it needs a complete rewrite. We're also here 48 hours away. What do we do? I think we really need to come together to pass a clean stopgap measure keep funding and government moving forward while we work out the details of these important spending bills. But, you know, I want to just push back a little bit because, Congressman Style, you said uh, that Senate has their own problems. Mitch McConnell actually is working together with the Democrats to try to come up with something. They are passing through certain measures. It's not just about this being both sides of the aisle. Is this a fundamentally problematic issue with the House? And really, it has nothing to do with the Senate. It really is a House issue led by some of the fractures, uh, the fractures in in the Republican Party. I'd offer to you that there's a few members on the Republican side in the House that probably get uh, a lot more media attention. But I would note uh, that as we actually look at the appropriations bills moving forward, the Senate is maybe further behind than the House. Neither are doing a good job. The underlying system here in which we're working on spending in right. D.C. completely broken. Uh, Congressman, would Ronald Reagan recognize your party? It seems like the nation, we know this well, has moved conservative over the last 20, 30, dare I say, 40 years as well. Where would Ronald Reagan fit into your modern GOP? I think we're still a center-right country, and I think Ronald Reagan would be able to lead this well. I think the big distinction is many of our, most, our loudest policymakers are no longer speaking in the aspirational tones that Ronald Reagan did. If we returned as conservatives and talked about how we're going to produce opportunity, address the Why biggest can't challenges you do I don't mean to day. interrupt, but because of time, Congressman, you nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. Why can't your GOP leadership insist on that aspirational tone. 
the, the broader media environment, Twitter and others, seem to like the confrontation. As we saw in the debate stage last night, there aren't enough programs like yours that have substantive and serious conversations right. about the policy issues of the day. Okay, but you got a guy in New York City, Mr. Trump, who invented a GOP of grievance. It's a grievance party which is anathema to Janesville, Wisconsin. How do you go from a grievance GOP, not back to, but towards something new that is that aspiration of the GOP back to 1860? Well, I can tell you when I'm at home in Wisconsin, which founded the Republican Party in Ripon, Wisconsin, people are still optimistic, believe our best days are ahead, recognize we have serious and substantive challenges, and what I think we need is a leader of the party that talks about how we are going to move forward in a difficult period of time. Congressman, thank you. We're going to clip some of that and put it in primos. Congressman Brian Stahl there. Thank you very much, sir, for joining us on the latest as the clock is ticking towards the potential shutdown. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.